just before 8 a.m. in that local time on December the 7th. In 1941, Japanese warplanes shattered the Sunday quiet time at Pearl Harbor. And despite a radiogram that was urgently being pushed to all the U.S. military that said the air raid on Pearl Harbor and, and that this was no drill, despite all of that, the surprise attack damaged and destroyed more than a dozen American ships and hundreds of aircraft. A little more than 2,400 American people died or killed that day. But the greatest loss came on the USS Arizona. 1,512 people died. Some of them drowned. Some of them burned to death. Some of them were caught in the middle of flying shrapnel. And some of them had dismemberment and bled out with no help. Only 300, about 300 survived on that 1941 crisp Hawaiian Sunday morning. Today there are only five men left. But they are very weak. And this is the first time in seven decades, this last December 7th, the first time in 70 years, that no one from the Arizona was able to attend the memorial service. Most, of course, is because the five remaining cannot make the journey. But what's more disturbing than that is that the greatest majority of college students have no idea that Arizona is not just a state or doesn't host the Cardinals or the Diamondbacks, which are professional baseball and football teams. They don't know it. The greatest majority of seniors in college have no idea what the Arizona is. And the reason why is because no one taught them our history. So, Lauren Bruner, 98 years old. Lou Conter, 97. Lonnie Cook, 98. Ken Potts, 97, and Don Stratton, 96. Just couldn't make the journey. But they were there that morning. And while I had to look up their names, I wanted to make sure my children knows and, and has a grasp. Something came before you. And if you can't appreciate that, you'll have no value here. I preach today from Judges chapter 2 verse 1. And an angel of the Lord came up from Gilgal to Bochum. Everyone say Bochum. And said, I made you to go up out of Egypt and have brought you unto the land which I swear unto your fathers. And I said, I will never break my covenant with you. And you shall make no league with the inhabitants of this land. You shall throw down their altars, but you have not obeyed my voice. Why have you done this? Wherefore I also said, I will not drive them out from before you. But they shall be as thorns in your sides. And their gods shall be a snare unto you. And it came to pass when the angel of the Lord, which is no less a theophany, God speaking spake these words unto all the children of Israel when they heard it the people lifted up their voice and wept that's why they called the name of the place Bochum weeping of repentance Bochum is weeping in repentance 
and they sacrificed there unto the Lord because they heard the word of the Lord and they repented and they did it with weeping. And when Joshua had let the people go, the children of Israel went every man unto his inheritance to possess it. They had to fight for the right. And the people served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders that outlived Joshua who had seen all the great works of the Lord that he did for Israel. And Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died, being 110 years old. They buried him in the border of his inheritance in Timathriaz, in the Mount of Ephraim, on the north side of the hill Gaash. And also all that generation were gathered unto their fathers. And there arose another generation after them, which knew not the Lord, nor yet the works which he had done for Israel. And I preach today the tributary. Father, in the matchless name of Jesus Christ, I plead the blood of Calvary over every hearer that hears this word. Let the atoning, restoring blood of the Lamb of God not only wash away our sins, but give us a clear thought and eye and mind and vision for what the Spirit has to say in this house. Equip us, Lord, with an attentive mind. Captivate our wayward thoughts and grip our lives in soberness and sincerity so that we not only perpetuate the grace gospel of Jesus Christ, but Lord, let us find the joy of the Lord in this house and the meaning and the value of what we have in our hands this very day. I pray it and plead it in the name of Jesus and the people will respond to it now by saying, yes, Lord, we want that in our lives and we want that in this house. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Yes, Lord Jesus. Holy, holy, holy Jesus. Now with a great voice and clap in our hands, let's make a great shout unto God. Come on, somebody extol him and call on him. Call out his name. Speak out his blood. Come on, somebody say glory. You are the great God. Somebody praise the Lamb which taketh away the sin of the world in this house. I thank you and you may be seated. If you're a new worshiper to New Life Fellowship in the last two years, would you just lift your hands? You're a new worshiper just to New Life Fellowship. Thank you. Wow. Awesome. Thank you so much. Thank you. Look up and see. The downward pool of the falling water. It comes without notice to the naked eye. The flat map offers no sense of its flow unless you trek to those uneven places of the earth. The trickling water is difficult to imagine. But gravity and the weight of it all combines to cast a long shadow against every mountain peak. Our western states pray for the winter snow and hopes to fill the parched gullies and reservoirs below. The cracked earth plays no favorites and can only be sufficed by the tumbling waters miles away. In respect to the many rivers that find their way into the oceans. The journey seems to end there. But it is there at the delta. Where the water becomes brackish. And Astoria is formed. They call it an Astoria. The intersection of fresh and salty water is a billowing mast. All seething with froth and foam but look up again 
Those mighty rivers began with the smallest of tributaries. Small, unnoticeable, almost trickles of water. The tributary made its way, winding through the carved familiar pathways into those almost negligible, indistinguishable streams. And then one forgettable stream meets up with another and then another until they form a greater brook and then all of them collide together into something greater, large enough to be called a river. The greater waters feed the land, crops, animals, and indeed people. As it flows, it finds a careless town and then a city. Most people have gathered around those waters even to this day. The great metropolis, perhaps the majority, began next to the river. But not all was well. Not all gathered. If you see it, you see the downward pool of the falling water. It comes without notice. All of it. Flowing. Not everyone gathered around them. The cry of dirty rivers have caught the eye of guardians and keepers of the environment. Indeed, logically, we know that to pollute such a thing is to kill off life. And finally, something prevailed as factories were forced to curb their waste and keep it out of the river. The 1950s and 60s held little regard for their well-being until finally traction was made in environmental stewardship. The last 30 years now have boasted of cleaner water more than we've ever seen since the Industrial Revolution. But it does not begin with the river. It never does. The river is only the culmination of the tributaries, the life the ability to spurn life is not just what happens against the river's edge. It's what happens upstream where the small, smaller waters flow. The river, great enough to be named, sufficient enough to be drawn on a piece of paper, is only a reflection of the tributaries that make it so. And what happens in those seemingly insignificant moments almost always determine the greater I stand here to speak of a man, Joshua. He will die, and at least two, maybe three generations later, people will arise which do not know him or the things that God had done for them. How could it be? How could they have forgotten, not known, the plagues wrought in Egypt, followed by the Red Sea opening, the waters being parted, and then... Finding three days later the bitter waters of Mara, manna from heaven, how do they not know that? The cloud that hovered atop the holiest of holies where the mercy seat rested and the blood was consumed. How did they not know it? The mountain of fire where the voice of the ancient one spoke, the face of a glowing face of Moses, emanated like a light bulb as he descended from the audience of God, the glory of God. How did they not know that? All of it and more was lost in the third, perhaps fourth generation after Joshua. And what should we say of Joshua? He was given the mantle of leadership from Moses, appointed by the most prestigious leader that the world has ever seen, to which Joshua took it all in stride. He did not miss a step. Joshua leads the people across a flooding Jordan while the Ark of the Covenant was held in the, in the belly of it as the waters were rolled back. Joshua, who led them to Jericho and saw the walls tumble down. Joshua, whose fame and authority was unmatched in his own time. All of it was forgotten. Another generation doesn't just wake up one day with no knowledge of the Lord or the works which he had done for Israel. It doesn't just happen in the flowing river. It happens in the tributary. It happens at dinner tables and car rides and incremental steps. That dismantle the holy things of God. And yes. Who, who hear the authority and the people 
in leadership and spiritual manners. All of it dismantled. It happens when an offense comes and an angry father decides that maybe the doctrine of separation or the blood or the name or baptism has no validity because he has been offended. So he gathers his family around the table, either directly or inadvertently, pours the poison of his own hurt into the tributaries until they are poisoned by his offense, of which they do not understand and they do not recover. All they know is that something is wrong with the church. All they know is that people are hypocrites. What they don't know is where all of that's going to lead them in their life. And that in time, they may never join the river. Because if you read a little further, Israel will, and I quote from verse 11, do evil in the sight of the Lord and serve Balaam. How could it be? How could it be from Bochum to Balaam? From a place of weeping and repentance to serving an object of stone. From crying out to God in repentance to worshiping a false god carved out with man's hand. The tributary is subject to the conditions of all those around them, whether for good or bad. And when it is good, it is very good. And not only to the younger, but also to the new. That's why I ask how many new worshipers were in this house. The younger are easy to identify, but there are also new tributaries as well in this place. Consider Ruth. She's new. She's an unsuspecting Moabite. She's part of a people who, for the most part, are the common enemies of Israel. Ruth was married to a Jewish man, and her mother-in-law was Naomi. Ruth was married to a man who had walked away or abandoned or left the heritage of his fathers. Now Naomi, her mother-in-law, has no book written after her name. But the book of Ruth has been firmly sealed in the divine order of God, so it is part of the canon. Ruth has no part with the people of God, especially after her husband dies. But Naomi, her mother-in-law, is so profoundly kind and gracious that Ruth is attached to her. Ruth wants to be like her mother-in-law, Naomi. And when the day came for Naomi to return back to her homeland, back to the land of Israel, Ruth refuses to part ways. Ruth was a tributary that Naomi poured into. Naomi poured in truth and a love for the God of Israel. Naomi showed the beauty of Jehovah and the wonder of God's provision to Israel. And Ruth, with no idea of Jewish custom or tradition, had to rely upon the constant guidance of her mother-in-law. And that is how she met and married. Boaz and that is why we find her a part of the genealogy of Jesus Christ Jesus is the river but Ruth is the tributary she's a long way from the living water but she's there because Naomi kept bitterness from creeping into that stream Naomi kept her faith and love and worship and it found its way into the life of a Moabite the tributary was so powerful That she made her way into Matthew chapter 1. She ought not have been there. She ought not have recovered. She ought to have been wasted in a land of gods. But she said, somebody is pouring something into me. I cannot leave them. Hear me, all of the new folks and new worshipers at New Life Fellowship. I got a word for you. We are going to pour into you. It doesn't matter where you've come from. It doesn't matter your background. But I got a word for you today. You are a tributary. And you are being grafted into the greatest lineage the world has ever seen. The Bible speaks of these tributaries, but sometimes we pass them by thinking that they just turned out holy or devoted somehow. Happenstance, but in reality, someone was working upstream. Someone was empowering them, loving them, even shielding them from the people who would have corrupted their hearts and minds. Moses would have never stood a chance had his mother Jochebed not taught him about God and the blessings of the Lord. It stayed with him as he grew in the house of Pharaoh. 
Jochebed, his mother, was the one who poured conviction into his heart. And that is why we can read that Moses chose rather to suffer with the people of God than enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. That entry into the book of Hebrews is connected to a mother who, when he was young, poured into that young tributary and said, there's only one God. You're going to go live in a wicked house. You're going to go live in the house of Pharaoh. But hear me, son, there's only one Lord. There's only one God. His name is Jehovah, and he's the greatest God, and there's no God like him. Without Jochebed, there is no Moses. Without a mother pouring into that little trickling water. Did not come by accident, none of him. As I cast my eye and read the scriptures of Solomon, the great king with all the wisdom and all the wealth who we know grew up in the architectural planning room of his own father David. Solomon, a boy, a young child, will be raised with all the trappings of the monarch, but he was still a tributary. His young life was so heavily influenced by his father. There was just nothing else for him to do but to fulfill his father's dream. Solomon's love and desire to build the temple came from the passion of his father who poured the vision into his young, impressionable son. David talked about it day at night. The Bible says that David saved gold and riches and prepared for the temple. And even though David never lived to see it completed, he painted the picture so firmly in the mind of that tributary that sat at his feet that when the day came, there was nothing else for Solomon to do. Hear me. I want to paint something in the eyes and the minds of everyone who is a tributary in this house. So there's nothing left for them to do but to build the church and to have revival and to love God and to seek for the Lord. Jonathan's father was King Saul. (laughs) And Saul began well. We know that he prophesied with the young school of prophets and he made sacrifices, but it didn't take long before he was self-engrossed and arrogant. Pride had filled his heart until God cut him off. Watch it now. God cut Saul off long before he replaced him. Don't get confused about people in power and positions. God might have cut them off. He's just waiting to replace them. Just like Eli. God's spirit was gone even though the operation of the high priest was still at work. Saul, the king, would have corrupted Jonathan. But Saul was so consumed with his own fame that he didn't make time for his son. And the irony of it all was that the time not spent with his son Jonathan was probably the thing that saved Jonathan. We read in the Bible, in the midst of the battle, when Saul was so driven to attain a victory, he totally exhausted his men and told them not to eat anything until the battle was over. They all heard it. It caused them to be weak. They stumbled through the fields. They were stumbling along, struggling through the open fields all the while. Honey laid on the ground. But Jonathan, he was not here. He was not there to hear the words His father's insane, obvious, foolish command. So when Jonathan saw the honey, he stabbed the tip of his spear to the honey and he lifted it up to his mouth and ate it. And the Bible says that Jonathan was enlightened and strengthened and was replenished. Jonathan ate the honey because he was not there to taste his father's bitterness. And nobody can eat both. And it leads me to know... That it may not be what I hear that saves my life. But it could be very well could be what I do not hear that saves me. The poison that I did not drink. The conversations that I never had. The grievances that were never shared with me. The disputes that were never presented to me. It kept my, my tributary clean and pure. Now, I will tell you, I was raised in a Pentecostal preacher's home, but my mother and father kept as best they could. They kept the problems and the anguish and the bitterness of the saints out of our dinner conversation, and they never talked about the people, and they never talked about the hurts and pains. So when we would go to church, I hugged the very people and loved the very people who were enemies of the church, and I never knew it. I'll tell you why. Because the tributary was clean. And the only reason why I'm standing here is because some things I never heard. Some things I never experienced. And the poison wasn't poured into my life.
We laugh at my mom and dad now. Of course, we're having fun with them. <laughs> but all the things they kept me from. <laughs> this I know. Families that sit together and talk about the goodness of the Lord have a greater chance of surviving the pitfalls of life. And there are many pitfalls. Yes, there are hypocrisies and mistakes and stumbling blocks in all of our lives. Even Jesus said, in this world, offenses will come. It's a fact. But if you invest in the tributary, if you'll invest love and forgiveness and grace, here, pastor, and kindness, and worship, and prayer, and sacrifice, I promise you that a great river will flow pure and clean and undefiled. I want all of the moms and dads to hear me now. Single fathers are single mothers. Embrace your sons and your daughters. Be thankful. Tell them how thankful you are for the church and they'll love it. Pray together. Retell. Everyone say retell. Retell of the goodness of the Lord in your life. You'll have a greater chance of avoiding the emotional anger and jealousy that accompanies everyone's life if you get together at the dinner table today and tomorrow and recount the goodness of the Lord. But if you pour out bitterness and disrespect in the tributary, whether they are children or just new to the house, they'll come a day, they'll not join the river. Instead, your branch of undisciplined and emotional irresponsibility will detour the flow of that life and they'll find themselves in an unknown foreign place later on. Think of it! No one knew Joshua or what God had done for Israel. Many years ago, I sang in a church in Texas. You don't really need to know this, but I used to sing and do concerts. <laughs> CDs, I made CDs. I started out making cassette tapes. Am I speaking Greek right now to some? When we recorded, we recorded on multi-track big tape. Think of a scotch tape and make it this big. Eight tracks. It was called analog. You could hear all the sounds of the studio. <laughs> Somebody had one of my 1991 change of heart CDs. One of the kids, my children, walking around, said, look at dad. You did this. Yes, believe it or not, your mother and I had a life before you ever came along. It was a good life. <laughs> I was singing in a church. In Texas, many years ago, the senior aging pastor was one of our most profound apostolic Pentecostal ministers. What a preacher. <laughs> As he got much older, he turned the, the church over to his son-in-law and daughter. But they didn't love the truth. And they didn't love the Pentecostal way. So they diluted everything that they could. And they changed everything that could be changed. And they never spoke about their father and what the church used to be. So they raised their children to ignore their heritage. And the day finally came when that third generation started to leave the church. And there was no remnant of what used to be. Because up in the tributary, where it didn't look significant, they started to point out all the flaws of everybody in the church. They saw people that were worshiping, speaking in tongues, and still had sin in their life. And they pointed it out over and over again as if you could remove the spirit and then everybody would be pure. 
An anniversary service came around. It was planned. A committee decided to reach back. They found an old preacher friend of their grandfather to come and speak. A couple of my friends were there that day. It was a big anniversary service. The old preacher was preaching. He paused and he started to talk about the baptism of the Holy Ghost. Speaking in other tongues. And while he preached, the choir sat behind him. And the then very young youth pastor's wife leaned forward to some people in the choir. And she asked in sincerity, what is he talking about? What is the Holy Ghost? I've never heard about speaking in other tongues. I'm going to tell you how that happened. It happened in the tributaries. It happened because someone decided we don't need that. Hear me. If the church is ever going to survive, if it's going to join the river. You don't start today. You start way back there up there where it doesn't look like it even matters. You start talking to your babies and your children and everybody who walks in. This is a powerful thing. You've got to have it. You're going to love it. See, that river died because the tributaries have been diverted from my youth up. Most of the families that left the truth and left the church did so when the waters upstream were poisoned. And while the first generation might survive, maybe, the last generation will grow up having no frame of reference of what this is about. Consider the scene. The first generation somehow loses heart, finds fault, so the second generation hears it. They begin to question the need for all these disciplines and devoted lifestyles. The third generation pacifies the second, but they have no personal conviction of their own. And by the time the fourth generation emerges, they have no connection at all to what had been in the first. Joshua. And his generation loved it. The elders that outlived him knew about it. But the next, perhaps the third or fourth, had no connection to it. No one knew the works that God had done. Somewhere, God stopped being relevant. The stories grew old and the desire grew cold. Maybe they were diverted. Perhaps they were poisoned, but certainly they were removed. I hope you can hear me today. Joshua made them take stones out of the middle of the river Jordan when they crossed over because he wanted them to remember what God had done. And he said, when your children walk by and they ask you, what meaneth these stones? You're going to open up the pages and you're going to go back and say, God brought us through. Maybe he knew how easy it was for them to forget the blessings of God but when those who had joined and those who had been born later walked by the stones they were a memorial but nobody knew what they meant they forgot it and I stand in awe of young people and children who have a deep love for God I applaud them I applaud you when parents live half-hearted or indifferent I applaud you or maybe no one is supporting you I am the fan in the stands for every person in this house who is loving God but you have no support but God forbid that our children and our grandchildren become devoted apostolics in spite of us I gotta say that again God forbid that our children and our grandchildren become apostolics in spite of us. I'm going to tell you why Roman is particular. Because we used to go to MCL every Sunday after church. And we went there with Duffy Elkins. Who always wears nice clothes. And decided not to be angry with baby Roman, who loved to hurl and launch peas. <laughs> and potatoes. And mashed potatoes. And Sunday after Sunday, Roman heard Duffy Elkins say, Now Roman, get your napkin, let's wipe your, let's wipe your hands, now let's tuck it right there, now let's tuck it right there, you see something happen in the tributaries, I'm going to tell you why Alexandra loves holiness, because her uncle Mark would tell her, Allie, you're beautiful just the way you are, you don't have to be like anybody else, you love the Lord, you watch your mama, you don't, don't be like the world, I'm going to tell you why, because they poured something in that tributary and it's lasted and it will last the rest of her life, let me tell you about the people in the house of God, who took the tributary seriously and they said I'm going to put something in the tributary and it's going to form into a great river. 
God forbid that our children are apostolic in spite of us. Everything that people do that would deter them from living for God, I pray that you are not the deterrent or the branch or the poison that would keep them out of the church. I know it's Christmas time. And we all want it to be thematic. I'll get baby Jesus in the crib eventually. But I found out through a little study that the greater chance is that the Lord is not celebrating his birthday. <laughs> I don't even know if he celebrates Easter. Resurrection. I think he'd like rather. I think he'd like for some people to die on Easter, die to your flesh. Oh, you like the? Do you think the Lord's thematic? He's not thematic. He's reaching for your heart, your soul, your family every day of the year. He's not opening up presents. God bless you if you open up presents. I hope you get some good ones. But just remember, you might recognize that he came, but you ought to recognize he came every day of the year. You ought to recognize he died every day of the year. You ought to know that the blood is just as good on Easter as it is on, on Christmas Day. Hear me. We got to get back to the Word. We got to love the Word. And we got to remember the tributary. I'm grateful for all the new worshipers and new believers who make their way and worship and love and find this place to be the desire of their life. Thank you for doing that. Thank you, new believers and new worshipers. But I'm wondering if there are some Naomi's in this house that will show the new believer the beauty of the Lord and the joy of the Lord. Are there any Naomi's that will show the beauty of the Lord and the joy? God forbid that they have to filter out the conversations of the saints with doubt and skepticism, just to say pure. Many years ago, a new worshiper came to our church, but upon entry, one of the members pulled them aside and said, now, I just want you to know there's a lot of problems here. When I found out, I asked the member of our church why they would say such a thing to the new worshiper. The answer was they said they were just trying to be real. That wasn't real, that was poison. Let me read the Bible to you, Ephesians 4.29. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers. I like to say it again. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers. And I'd like for the sound people to put it on the board. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers. I find no suggestions. If you got time, I find no, if you got time, if it fits. And, and tickles your fancy. That is a command of God. That is a command of the scriptures. That's from God's own mouth. And the writer who wrote it, Paul, was just dict, he was, he was just the person with the pen, but God was dictating it. Why? Because somebody can be saved or ruined based upon what we say. I'm gonna ask you this morning, what about joy? I'm watching people walk through this house proclaiming to be filled with the Holy Ghost, but you have no joy. What about joy? Man, it can't be that bad that you can't smile. I'm trying to pull out all the dumb jokes I have just to get you to show your teeth or whatever you've got left. You ought to be, hey, really? This is living for God? I thought the spirit was a river of life that out of your belly would flow a satisfying water. Hear me. Some of you have been so busy fighting the devil, you haven't had any time to rejoice in the Lord. Hear me, all the new worshipers. Don't draft from them. You'll be depressed the rest of your life. Because all they do is rebuke the devil. Hear me. 
I don't care if you rebuke the darkness. Do it all you want. I would just rather turn on the light. You ain't with me. We gotta rebuke the devil. We gotta take charge over the devil. There's a lot of spiritual problems here. I'll tell you what you do. Get your praise on. Get your light on. Get your dance on. Start praising God. Because the Bible says that light hath no fellowship with darkness, but light reproves the darkness. And the quickest way to get rid of the devil is to begin to praise God with joy. I'm going to tell you, new believers, hear me, new believers. I don't care who they are in this church. You've got a pastor's wife and a pastor, and we want to be happy about God. And anybody who's not happy about God, they don't know the joy of the Lord, but the joy of the Lord is going to be your strength. Oh, I'm preaching, and you ought to be clapping. But if you're not clapping, I'll just preach to all the new worshipers because I want the new worshipers to know you're a tributary. God's going to have a river, and I want you to be poured into the water. Oh, Pastor, you don't understand what I've been through. I've been through a lot of stuff. We've got a lot of problems. we got a lot of sickness. I'll tell you what you ought to do. You ought to praise right through it. You ought to smile and say, I know I've been down, and I've been beaten down, and I've been pressed down, but I've been shaped. But hear me, I'm not done. I'm not over. I'm not defeated. I'm not wasted. And i got to dance in my step. You ought to praise God even through your struggle. Hey. Hey, hey, I need to see somebody who's been through cancer and can praise God. I don't want to see somebody who is down and believe that God has left them. I got to have somebody pour into me. Come on, come on, come on. Lights, lights, get the lights up, get the lights up. Get the light of praise in your life. form rejoice my enemy don't rejoice my enemy for when I sit in darkness the Lord shall be a light unto me I'm almost through I'm almost through I promise I'm not giving you false hope <laughs> I'll tell you why people get depressed not always but for the most part because you allowed something to be poured into your spirit caused you to be tainted you fellowship with people who don't have any good thing to say and even if they don't say it, their spirits are so heavy, hard, callous, and cold that it's hurting your life. I'll tell you what you ought to do. You take today and make it the first day to pour in goodness into wherever you're going to eat dinner. Because <laughs> I know families that are not coming to church right now, and I'll tell you where it started. did not start it at the offense they said it started. It started years ago. Every Sunday, they talk bad about people in the church. Every Sunday. And now their children don't know anything about the church. So I would say today, I want to pour it in a little rejoicing. Because I've seen the wonder of the Lord in the house of the Lord. He is the healer after all. Let me tell you about Jesus. He is the deliverer. He'll make a way when there is no way. Can I have a witness in this house? I need a Naomi that will just help a Ruth by saying, hey, he can make a way out of no way. And David said it like this, but thou, O Lord, art a shield from me. My glory and what? Say it. What is he? 
the lifter. You ought to say he's the lifter. He did not die for you so that you would stay depressed and low and sad, but you've got to get up and recognize who he is. He's my lifter. He's the rescuer. He's the keeper. He's my refuge. I'm not trying for you to ignore your reality and your present state and conflict. Come on, I know we've all got it. We've, everybody's got it. Everybody's got trouble. But why don't we just have somebody teach us how to dance a little bit? I don't care who you emulate. You need to start learning how to dance. Some of you, if you can only square dance, square dance for Jesus, but do something. <laughs> I'll tell you what we need. We need tributaries that know how to pray. And they can be five years old and know how to pray. And you can be five days holding the church, but you need to know how to give the whole of God. And if you've come here for one service, I want you to know how to pray. I want to introduce you to the prayer room. If you'll just go through that door, there's a prayer room. I want to tell you about a little mother in our church, Sister Hammond, who loves to pray throughout the week every day. She's in the prayer room. If you want to learn how to pray... We're going to learn how to give. Because when you open up your hand to give, guess what your hand is? It's open. Nobody can receive unless they open up their hand. I'll tell you why you don't have anything. You haven't been given anything. Oh, yeah, we had the throw down at our house three days ago. Oh, yes, we did. Four days ago? Yeah. We had throw down. Instead of our, 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 instead of our devotion... In the morning with all the kids, we had throwdown. You little devil children. They broke the cardinal rule. They broke the cardinal rule the night before. I'm sorry to talk bad about them. God knows if you go tell them I'm in trouble, I'm always in trouble. Roman came home and it was, and he did not know what hit him. Because the other three broke the cardinal rule. I don't care if they have no friends in this world or if they have a thousand friends. They're going to love one another. Because if they can't love one another, I don't want them to love and I don't want them to act like they love anybody else. Your best friend is sitting at the table right now. They are your blood. You're going to love. Don't break the cardinal rule. And I'll tell the church right now, don't you dare break the cardinal rule. God forgave you and you ought to forgive everybody. And you ought to be dead and lost and dying in sin. But he resurrected you and restored you. And you ought to love everybody. You know what we said at our table? I want you to put away all the stuff you think you want for Christmas. I want to know who do you want to help. I know we're the only problem family in the church. I don't want you kids coming into the church and acting like you own anything. I want to tell you something. There are people who love you. They sacrifice for you. You ought to love them. You ought to help everybody. And you ought to thank God that you've got anything because without the body of believers about your mom and dad, you'd have nothing. There's a lot more to that, but I'll let it be. Because we've got to learn how to give. And we got to learn how to forgive. And we got to learn how to recover ourselves. And we got to learn how to recover other people. Because if we don't do this, the river dies every time. We got to learn that when our young people mess up, they can recover in the church. Can they recover in the church? Tell me, somebody help me. Can they recover in the church? Or does the church say you're no good and you're cast out? Hear me? If they're ever going to have a chance. <laughs> so I'll tell you why I need some mothers in this house. I'll get to you fathers in a second. I need some mothers in this house that will help all the new folks learn how to serve. I, wanna, I want you to emulate serving everybody. I need some fathers in this house that will learn how to be a man and love God as a man. Can I still say that? 
pray to God I can call out men in the church. I want you to be a man loving God. I want the men to know how to worship God, love God. But if all you ever do is come to criticize, you've already ruined your children. You've ruined your grandchildren. You've ruined everybody else. Every day you pour in poison. I'll tell you what you do. You go back home and say, man, church was good today. Even if it wasn't great, you tell them it was good. Because every day in the house of God is good. And if the music wasn't right and the preacher wasn't right and the air conditioner was on instead of the heat, you say, I'd rather be in the house of God. Please stand with me for my fourth and final closing. <laughs> grab somebody's hand or put your hand on their shoulder. If you're a little germ conscious, grab them by the elbow. Now we're going to pray a prayer. It's a corporate prayer. Lord, I pray right now, clean our own lives the flow of the water clean it all the things that we do to ourselves clean it out secondly Lord come on now help me everybody Lord secondly forgive me of associating with people who are trying to infect the work of the ministry in my life and would pull me down and poison me Forgive me. Lord, help me to recognize the bitter voices because, Lord, I need the honey and I cannot eat the bitter and the honey at the same time. And now, Lord, I'm praying right now for me. Help me to pour into every new worshiper in this house. This is a house of love. I'm poured into every tributary, a house of restoration. A house of forgiveness. This is a house of hope. Of encouragement. We recover ourselves and other people in this house. Come on now. You ought to be praying this prayer. I'm going to encourage every person. Every child. Every brother. Every sister. So the mighty river can flow pure. The Holy Ghost can flow. Ha ha ha. Come on, you're praying it out. You're praying it out. It's going to take you a little moment now. Clean me out, Lord. Here's my brother, my sister, Lord, right now. We got to have rejoicing and joy. I got to have the joy of the Lord. I got to have joy. Come on, you ought to be telling everybody who pulls you down. I don't have time for that. I need the joy of the Lord. I got some rejoicing I got to do.